Welcome to the inaugural episode of the Plastic Posse Podcast, a podcast all about scale modeling. Before we get started, we want to give our grateful thanks to the sister modeling podcasts that are also about scale modeling. We are going to start out with uh, the boys down in Australia, Dave, Ian, and Julian from the On the Bench podcast. They've been terrific with us, a very supportive. I want to talk uh, also about uh, Plastic Model Mojo, Dave and Mike over in Kentucky, and they've been very helpful to us as well, helping to promote us and give us tips and pointers. And then also the Scale Model Podcast, Stuart up in Canada has been fantastic. We just really want those guys to know that we're grateful. And we'd also ask you to, if you're not already familiar with their podcast, give their podcast a listen. My name is Scott Gentry. I don't know crap about hockey, but I definitely know about scale modeling. I'm going to be joined by two co-hosts, TJ Holler from the East Coast and Doug Smith, who's out here in Utah with me. We're going to start out with our official podcast herpetologist, uh, Doug Mad Dog Smith. Uh, Doug, give, give people an idea of who you are and uh, how you became a modeler. Well, first of all, I got to say, I'm not really a herpetologist. I love reptiles and amphibians and stuff. I like to, I own some and I go and I look for them in the wild, but I do not study them. I'm not really, the <laughs> theologist part doesn't belong on my name. So I'm I'm originally from California. I started modeling at seven, about seven years old. I uh, was introduced to it by a neighbor who was an excellent modeler. He, he modeled beautifully without all the tips and tricks and the aftermarket stuff that we have today. And I would never be ashamed to do do as well as he did then, even with everything I have. So I, I got into modeling with airplanes with uh, fingerprints all over it with the glue marks and everything. And I did that until started learning how to fill seams and sand and stuff when I was a teenager. Didn't really get heavily into modeling until I met Scott when I was about 24 years old. Um, we worked together and he and I started talking a lot about it and we got involved uh, with some other guys. It's, it's kind of been uh, one of those things I've been doing for a long long, long time now. And unlike me, Doug does know about hockey. He's a big Chicago Blackhawks fan. Go Hawks. I mean, not this year, but next year, maybe. <laughs> our, our other co-host, uh, TJ Holler, is coming to us live from the dungeon of his secret laboratory, where he paints amazing wargaming miniatures and other models. And he's also an unabashed uh, Washington Capitals fan. Uh, TJ, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, I'm, I'm TJ. Uh, I live here in Northern Virginia in the Blue Ridge Mountains, where it is always hot in the summer, but not too bad. So I got into modeling in 2012 as an adult, which is a little bit different than it seems like the normal story goes that I've seen um, floating around on the internet. I discovered Warhammer 40,000 that I was familiar with through video games, which is another one of my hobbies. And I bought the like a starter set and just took off from there. And from there, I found out that they made Star Wars kits. And Star Wars is one of my other favorite things. So I started buying those. And then I saw that they make World War One tanks and i thought well i like world war one tanks maybe i should get some of these and from there i've just pretty much expanded to most things you can think of i'm not so much into the airplanes not because i dislike airplanes i actually love airplanes especially world war ii planes and modern fighters they just really intimidate me for some reason kind of what got me into the hobby was uh, battlestar galactica and specifically uh ralph mccrory's colonial viper uh, design. I just fell in love with it. And as a kid, when I saw the old uh, Ravel Viper model, I knew I just had to have it. It was so much more detailed than all the toys were at that age that I just, you know, my eyes grew big and I knew I just had to have one. I actually didn't get one for years after that. But that's 
what pulled me into this hobby. TJ, what's this uh, posse going to be about? What's the Plastic Posse podcast going to consist of every two weeks? So the Plastic Posse podcast is going to be fun and entertaining conversations, kind of like a virtual hangout. So we want it to feel like you're sitting here in the basement with us and, you know, we're shooting the breeze or we're down at the hobby shop on the weekend and we're talking about the models we want and we're bringing one to show off to our buddies. And we really just want everyone that listens share in the hobby that the three of us all enjoy. And we want all modelers it, it doesn't matter if it's aircraft, armor, science fiction, Gundam, gaming miniatures, figures, boats, you know, anything. It's all the same hobby. So we want to have reviews on kits, finishing products, paints, tools, supplies, you know, you name it. We want to talk about it. And we also really want to talk about the techniques in, in the hobby that we all enjoy from weathering and, you know, some construction type stuff and even some kit bashing, maybe even lighting. Uh, I know I've tried it a little bit and it's pretty fun. And we also would like to have some interviews. And we have an interview coming up in our first episode uh, from someone that some of our listeners might know if they're um, frequent users of Facebook. Um, he's a very talented modeler from Pittsburgh. And I think, you know, it's going to be a really good interview. He's a very energetic guy. He loves the hobby just as much as us. So you'll have to stay tuned and listen to that. That's going to be awesome. So why why the posse, Doug? Well, I think TJ hit on it really well. We're going to be hanging out. We're just going to... We're just going to shoot the breeze like uh, like a bunch of friends sitting around uh, discussing our love for this hobby. We really, really want participation from our listeners. We have a Facebook page. Please feel free to comment on there. Send us messages through there. We'd love to, to hear from you. We have an email, if that's more your speed. It's plasticpossipodcast at gmail.com. But the idea is to share our love with of our hobby with y'all, and hopefully you share your love of the hobby with us, and we can we can grow together. We have these interviews that we've got scheduled. We actually are considering even interviewing some of you. Anybody out there that's listening, we'd consider talking to you if you have something you think you can add to us. Let's talk about it. Let's let's bring you on. What's that Facebook page, Doug? It's Plastic Posse Podcast. That seems appropriate, right? Triple P, <laughs> yep. <laughs> as far as how often and when, um, you guys can plan on hearing from us every two weeks. Like our other sister uh, scale modeling podcast, we're going to offset the schedule a little bit so that we don't kind of step on them and they don't step on us. And hopefully as listeners, uh, it gives you a little bit more regular uh, regimen of podcasts to listen to uh, while you're down on your bench modeling or you're driving to work on your commute. Hopefully uh, we're entertained entertaining and informative and you enjoy listening to us so um well let's get started uh, current projects uh, doug what's on your bench right now my bench i have a gundam kit on my bench that's one of them and uh let me tell you which one it is it is the gundam uh let's see it's the gundam d hell custom it's the it's the hg the hella good grade of uh <laughs> of uh, bandai uh gundam kits um, it's it's something that I'm doing mostly because I'm interested in, in attempting something new. I don't do Gundam. It's not one of my favorite subjects, but I think this could be a lot of fun and I want to learn. I want to I want to learn all aspects of this hobby as I can. And uh, and this one just looked like it might be a hoot. So I started that one. I'm going to do a little uh, filling of seams and a little sanding and I'm going to start painting it. It's going to have to be painted in uh, pieces because you certainly can't assemble this thing and paint it all at once. Um, I also have a Timia 135th scale Easy 8. I have a bunch of kits in boxes because I am a master at starting a kit and putting it away. <laughs> 
What about your big project, Doug? What's your big project? My big, big project is a one-to-one scale model room in my basement. I'm working on getting that done. And once I'm to that point, that leads me into other big projects. I have a couple of Bandai Perfect Grade Millennium Falcons. I've got two of them I'm going to build, but I need the space and I certainly don't have it now. And so I'm really looking forward to that. TJ, what's on your bench right now? Oh, my bench. Well, like most modelers, I've got, I don't know, eight, at least eight uh, kits going right now. But what's taking up most of my time is my Space Marine Warhammer 40,000 army. On my desk right now, I quite literally have an army of Space Marines pretty much covering the whole thing. Also hiding back there, I have Tamiya's KV-1, the new kit, which is built, ready for priming. And I will say it is gorgeous. That's a great kit. Really beautiful kit. Uh, you you uh, picked up, speaking of uh, your uh, Warhammer pieces, you picked up one of those new Warhammer Indominus boxes, right? I did. It just came out, I want to say, about a month ago, maybe five weeks ago. It coincided with the launch of the ninth edition of the tabletop game. If any of our listeners are interested in that, I also play. Um, I probably paint and model the figures more than I play, especially given the current situation, but it's uh, all new sculpts i think you get 24 space marines probably something like 30 necrons which are essentially for if for those who don't know essentially killer space robots they look like terminators without the skin on them from the terminator movie nice and i will say these miniatures are just absolutely gorgeous it's just sometimes i i and surprised that they can do what they do. And they're pretty small. If, if anyone's seen them, they're 28 millimeter scale. So that's pretty tiny. And they're just, oh, they're just, they're so much fun. I, I really can't sing their praises enough. I enjoy every moment uh, that I spend painting them. Citadel puts out a really good project product. They do. And they've only gotten better and <laughs> they've gotten more expensive, which is unfortunate, but you know, can't really do anything about that uh, there's plenty of us out there that are willing to pay the price yeah for sure i mean doug you built uh several of these figures and these vehicles for your sons who played this right yeah the one i actually have one that's on the bench i didn't bring that one up but uh i'm actually painting the uh oh geez i always forget the name of it because they're the, the astra Le- uh, Le- lehman russ lehman russ yeah it's the the astra militarum lehman russ battle tank he asked for a little special band on it to be painted down the side, a red band down the side of the hole. And it's not it's not a straight line. There's a lot of angles on this, so it was really kind of difficult to paint. But I got that done. I'm ready to start weathering it. We'll see how it turns out. It is fun. If I had any complaints about about this tank and and some of the others is they all don't always have like aligning a tabs. No. Um, it's just a picture on the on the instructions that say yeah. this goes here. And so you kind of have to pick on the blank plastic where you're going to glue a piece onto it. And I'm not fond of that. But but overall, it's it's not hard to work with. What I'm about painting? How they have a um, good way to paint those or do you just kind of apply your modeling skills? I am applying my modeling skills, but the Citadel line, their paint line, if you were to uh, you say a beginner and you want there was an effect you wanted to get, the Citadel line has a, has like a, a system for you to go and map exactly what you want to do. And it will tell you, use this paint, use this paint, use this paint. If you want that blue chrome look, they'll show you exactly how to get it. And and it's really neat. It's a really a genius idea. I think that that 
your good modelers will get away from that and do it themselves after time. But but it it's a way to make a decent looking uh, army without having to learn too many new skills. It's it's a good system. As far as what I have, I've got a a Bandai 172nd scale T65 X-wing that I've painted in Phoenix Squadron markings, which is from the Rebel show. It's got a lot of green in it and just a little bit of your atypical, you know, Red Squadron X-wing that you see kind of over and over. And then I also picked up a Polar Lights uh, USS Shengzhou. I hope I said that right. A uh, little Starship kit on one twenty-five hundredth scale uh, kit, very very small. But the reason I did it was sort of this uh, modeling out of your comfort zone idea that we talk about where I really hate decals like uh, really 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 hate decals I would rather do anything my wife has a um, one of those uh, silhouette cutters and I'm always getting her to scan my decal sheet so that I can have uh, painting mass and airbrush on my markings but anyway this kit is all about the decals all the detail the Aztecing everything is the decal so I'm uh, tackling that and uh, you know, using it as sort of that uh, modeling out of my comfort zone. As far as uh, what are we all looking forward to, Doug, I need to go back to something you said. How did you end up with not one, but two Bandai Perfect Grade Falcon models? Well, let's see. A couple years ago, it's been two years since they announced that kit. I want to say maybe it's been three now. I think it's been Um, three. Bandai went so far as to release a four-minute video touting this new kit. And I watched it and I was absolutely blown away. I also kind of had an idea of what the price point was going to be. And and I knew there was no way I'd get it. Absolutely not. But I was at home and we were bored and I told my daughter, I said, check this out. I know you're not into modeling, but check this out. And I showed it to her and and she was like, yeah, that's pretty cool. And behind the scenes went to her brothers and arranged to acquire one for me for Christmas that year. And um, the shot, I've never been more shocked by a gift in my life. And they said it was worth every penny just to see the look on my face. <laughs> so, so, but I, uh, at the, at right shortly after I, we decided to move. So I was finding a new place and, and now I've got to finish a room to actually build this thing in. So it got put off. Well, I have a friend who, who knows an awful lot about construction, who is a, um, um, a big, big Star Trek and Star Wars fan. He loves that stuff. And I've built him a couple kits in the past and I bribed him. I said, you've got the the knowledge. I don't mind doing most of the work, but if you'll come out and give me some some guidance and some pointers and maybe help me with a little bit of stuff, I'll be happy to build you one of these. Now, of course, I can't give him the kit my kids bought me. That would be wrong, right? So, <laughs> Absolutely. So fortunately, that happened about the time that a, a new run recently of the Perfect Grade Falcons was released. So I bought a second one and I'm excited to get started on these things. It's going to be uh, 100 plus hour kits. Easy. Okay. Okay. So hold, um, hold on here. TJ, I need a judge's ruling on this. So Doug is going to get a basement room finished for a model room. And the price for this is he gets to work on one of the most incredible kits that have ever been made. He's a genius. It's a fair deal. I, I wish I could find that deal because I, I have a basement that needs to be finished too. But I don't know anyone well, that wants that wants uh, one. I'm going to I'm going to up this one. I want you to know that it's not just a room for my for my modeling. It's my wife's sewing room, my reptile room and a bathroom that is getting done. 
Yeah, so, all, all I'm hearing right now is Bandai Perfect Gray Falcon. Bandai yeah, Perfect yeah, Gray Falcon. That's yeah. all I'm hearing. <laughs> well, um, Doug, you know, this this kind of modeling outside your comfort zone was sort of your idea. So why don't we start with you? Uh, why don't you talk about uh, your modeling outside your comfort zone project? Okay. Well, I'll first say my comfort zone is mostly Star Wars. That's what I've been doing is Bandai kits for the last few years because they're just a dream to build. They go together easily. They're they're just the detail is great. And and I just I love Star Wars. I've loved it since I was seven and the first movie came out. I'm dating myself, but yes, I'm 50 years old. But I also love airplanes. I built I used to build a lot of airplanes. I built the Hazagawa Tomcat. That's actually my my modeling moment right there was the Hazagawa 48 scale Tomcat. It was it was a awesome to build, a lot of challenge, but it was it, it turned out really good. But I want to get into other stuff. Um, I love tanks. Armor is a very cool subject, and what guy doesn't love tanks, right? Yeah. Um, uh, so, so I've got the Sherman uh, Easy Eight going right now, and I'd love to do more. There's some Russian subjects that really intrigue me, and um, that's what I want to do. And I'm doing this Gundam as well because it it it's all it's all fun, it's all new, and it will all be a challenge. And that's that's my goal here is to improve myself. I'd like to throw on aftermarket stuff, which I'm not. A, a big user of at this point, but I think it can be done for me, and uh, that's what I'm looking at. Well, I've kind of spoken about my Shengzhou uh, little experiment, but I think we need to talk about our good friend TJ for a minute here. <laughs> he has, uh, I know for a fact, in his stash, one of those new beautiful uh, Tamiya P38 Lightnings, just engineering masterpiece. And, uh, you know, uh, he, rumor has it that the uh, kit has him a little intimidated. So, uh, Doug, I think we need to arm wrestle him to his bench and uh, get him to start working on that kit. Yeah, the, the rumors are true. I am incredibly intimidated by that kit. I would also like to say I have a, a handful of aftermarket things to go with it. I think I have some resin wheels, metal gun barrels, maybe one other thing. I can't remember. I might have gotten cockpit I, I don't know i'd have to, to pop the box open and to see what i bought that would be cool it's just a regular seat i guess i can't remember if that's what i bought or maybe some photo etch i don't know i have to look yeah oh. i would love to build that and i've taken it out of the box at least twice and looked at it and thought about starting to clip some of the pieces off and decided that my time would be best spent doing something else because I don't, I, know I, don't, I don't, I don't know if I can do, it's such an interesting subject, you know, and there's so many great references of those planes, especially the ones from the Pacific that are just dirty and beat up and just disgusting, but in all the right ways. Yeah. And I just don't know if I, I don't feel like I could do that justice. I mean, I'd like to prove myself wrong and, and I hope I do, but yeah, you guys are going to have to. You have to drive out here to Virginia and kick my door down. And <laughs> I, I promise you like this. That. Scott and I both have the same kits, and we also have aftermarket for it. And so so maybe we'll figure something out where we all do it. Oh, that would um, be a great idea. The, the, the Lightning is just such an incredible airplane. Um, I've seen – I had the chance to see him fly before, and uh, I even saw five of them all at once, and that was that was a treat. That was at Chino in 2013. And uh, I would I would absolutely love to build that kit. Yeah, I've been I've been sort of 
praying to the modeling gods for literally decades for a company with the engineering and quality standards of Tamiya to put out a good kit of the Lightning because it is a complex build with the, you know, the twin booms and everything. But, you know, I have no doubt in my mind that Tamiya is up up to the to the task and that you're going to have a, a great experience building that. And uh, by the way, TJ has a trademark pending on describing weathering as disgusting <laughs> in all the right ways. That's just epic <laughs> right there. Yes. So uh, weathering. <laughs> absolutely. So, uh, Doug, you've got a great idea for a new segment that I think we're going to incorporate into all of our episodes moving forward. Why don't you uh, talk about your uh, your idea? OK, we know that right now most people are buying their modeling supplies online and their kits and everything. We also know that we all love and adore having a local hobby short store nearby. And we need to support that, even if it's just because, oh, my gosh, I'm out of flat black. I need to get to the store and it's there and you don't have to wait a few days for it. I would like to have a shout out to our local hobby stores. So um, uh, if you would all mind anybody that has a local hobby store that they love, that they want us to talk about, I don't care where it's at. Give us a name, the city it's in and why you love it. And we're going to pick a few of those every week and read them out and give them a shout out. That's awesome. That's a great idea. TJ, I don't know if you've got one, but I'm going to I'm going to take a minute here to shout out MRS Hobby here in Sandy, Utah. It's a great local shop here and what he's been really really awesome at is bringing in all these new amazing paint and finishing lines, you know, the Megamo weathering products, the AK Real Colors paint, the Goon Sangyo paints from Japan. You know, it's a fantastic shop, so go see Doug the owner if you you get a chance and you are in utah they also carry uh, a full line whether it's warhammer figures or uh, gunpla i think uh, gunpla kits uh, make up probably at least 50 percent of his business so anyway shout out to mrs hobby in sandy utah and uh, tj you have anybody you want to shout out yeah, as a matter of fact, I do. I'd like to give a shout out to Huzzah Hobbies in Ashburn, Virginia. It's about 25 minutes from my house. Uh, it's owned by a guy named Chris, who is probably one of the single nicest guys I've ever met in my life. I started going to his shop in 2012 when I first got into um, Warhammer 40,000. At that time, he was a little tiny hole-in-the-wall shop, and since then, he's expanded his store three times and now has... A large footprint. He's primarily a gaming store, but as he's grown, he started incorporating more and more stuff. More, you know, he has uh, ammo washes now. He has Aptalung 502 oils, uh, some uh, Tamiya weathering supplies, uh, Vallejo, multiple different kind, you know, of the different Vallejo lines. Uh, he also sells Gundams and he sells Bandai Star Wars kits, and he's got nice. just about all of them in stock. And like I said, the, the owner, Chris, is just a great guy. His staff is always, you know, always willing to help. And, you know, luckily he's made it through the shutdown. Seems like pretty much, you know, unscathed. He was still able to do business to a degree. So I wish him nothing but luck in the future. And if anyone's listening and you're in the Northern Virginia area, Loudoun County area, or even a little bit further out in that sounds good to you. I mean, swing by, check it out. It's a great little store. 
Awesome. So make sure and stop by uh, our our uh, Facebook page, Plastic Posse Podcast, and uh, give a shout out to your local hobby store. And uh, we'll be sure and uh, read that in the next episode of the podcast. And uh, that'll be great for them and great for you. All right. Well, coming up next, we've got our special segment that TJ teased earlier on with a guest host. That's going to be uh, a lot of fun, and we're looking forward to it. So uh, let's move into that right now. Today, we've got a special segment for everybody on armor modeling. And uh, not only do we have a guest, but we have our first official posse guest host. Uh, we want to welcome into the show the renowned, talented, handsome John Banani. Uh, John, welcome to the podcast. And tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, how you got to be uh, such a great armor modeler. Oh, boy. I have to go way back for that. No. Well, first off, thank you, Scott, for inviting me and the other two, Don and, and TJ. I really appreciate uh, the invite, and I look forward to contributing as, as one of the first official posse members. So, oh, where to begin? You know, I, I grew up with scale modeling. Um, you know, I was very lucky that my dad was uh, fruitfully obsessed with it and it kind of rubbed off on me not so much my siblings but I, I've carried it with me I'm 34 and I think my first show I was probably like four or five years old and I was always told to put my hands in my pocket so I think I still do that so I, I grew up in the mess yeah exactly so I'm always careful, no lanyards or anything, leaning over the models, always have my hands in my pockets. So, um, you know, just, just grew up around the hobby, grew up around the shows. A lot of people, at least on the East Coast, for, for listeners, I'm from the Pittsburgh area, you know, coast up and down the East, you know, shows up and down the East Coast. And throughout the world, I would go to the IPMS Nationals and some other big shows and just got to know a lot of the, a lot of the members in the hobby. And it's been a really great ride. So as Scott mentioned, uh, you know, Closet Modeler, JB Closet Modeler is what I go by on Facebook. Um, I have an Instagram page, but I don't really populate it. Um, but you can find most of my work on my Facebook page, and then I publish for some magazines as well. And then in real life, uh, you know, background in aerospace engineering, and I work for a small startup in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Well, what is it that drew you into armor modeling to begin with? Oh, so I always liked armor. I remember going uh, to uh, the Aberdeen Proving Grounds as a kid and just seeing and looking over the field. I'm like, man, this is the coolest stuff I've ever seen. So, I, you know, every kid loves a tractor, but then when you put a gun on it, it becomes infinitely more cool. So <laughs> I, I was I was hooked from that moment on. And, uh, you know, I, I always dabbled in the hobby, went away. And what really sparked me to get back into it back in 03 was Band of Brothers and specifically episode three, Karen Tan, when, when you know, the, the Yag Panther and the Stug pops out of the hedgerow. I was like, oh, man, I want to build one of those. And uh, kind of went off and on uh, with the hobby since then and got really back serious with it probably about six or seven years ago. All right, guys, so we're going to talk about armor, obviously. As Scott already explained, um, one of the first things we want to talk about is the new Border Models 135th scale Crusader 3. I know we've we've kind of we talked about it off um, before we start recording. I think everyone here is really excited to see that kit. Uh, I know me personally, that's one of my favorite tanks pretty much ever, especially from the Second World War. There's something about the way it looks. It's got that angular turret. Uh, it was fast. It was kind of like a 
I think Scott described it as almost like a sports car. I think that's what you said, Scott. Yeah, yep, exactly. It wasn't the greatest tank out there, but it, it's really got almost a sexy profile, especially, you know, a lot of tanks tend to be boxy and bulky, and the Crusaders just, you know, it almost looks like an MG or something out there on the battlefield. So I know I know we're all really looking forward to it. Um, they haven't released a whole lot of information about it, uh, but they did show the CAD drawings for it, and it looks fantastic. I think it's the first crusader in probably 25 30 years so i'm sure it'll be better than whatever else is out there i've got that uh, to me a rebox of the ancient italery uh 135th scale kit but john weren't you telling us you build a 132nd scale kit of that of that tank <laughs> Yeah, other than the Italieri uh, option, there is the old Airfix option, and that one is from 1975, 32nd scale. It's been reboxed a few times, and it looks like it's been carved out of a bar of soap, um, but I did my best with it. <laughs> that, you know, that tooling was released when probably a lot of our listeners weren't even still alive. Uh, TJ, we're looking at you right now. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I was around for that one. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Well, you know, I think we're all, you know, excited, looking forward to that. I don't know much about border models. Um, I think they might be connected to, you know, maybe to Hmong or to take on. I don't know for sure. But if the uh, kit looks anything like the CAD shots, uh, we're all going to be really happy and excited to get that kit. And I, I was just going to add uh, Night Shift is doing a series now on the Crusader Mark III. He's doing it with the 148th version from Tamiya, but for listeners that want to have an idea, some inspiration on how they may paint it, his his series on YouTube are fantastic, and that is his subject matter right now, so perfect timing. For those of you listeners out there that aren't familiar with Night Shift, it's one of the, the best YouTube channels out there. Uh, Martin is a great modeler. Uh, his videos are shot very, very well. They're entertaining. They're edited, you know, uh, to be very concise and easy to follow. So uh, check out Night Shift on uh, on uh, YouTube. I think you'll uh, really like that. And, and as John just mentioned, uh, he's doing a Crusader right now. Uh, any of you guys built a 116th armor kit before? I have, I have not. not. I have the Panther and Yog Tiger from Trumpeter sitting in the corner of the basement. My wife wants me to move, but I have not built them yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, T- TJ's exposed us. Yeah, I've got a pile of them, but I haven't ever built one yet. And so uh, looking forward to it. I've got the Tacom uh, Panzer One, uh, which is a pretty sharp little kit. I've got the, uh, you know, the FT-17 um, also by Tacom and, uh, you know, a few other ones as well. I've got a Panda Panzer. 38T that is really, really nice. That's a great size for that. And this Stewart, you know, I don't think I'd want to build a Yog Tiger or a King Tiger or something huge like that in this scale, but the Stewart is such a diminutive little tank. And, you know, some of those other ones like the FT that I think 116 scale is a really nice size. Yeah, I think, I, you know, I was just going to comment too, you know, I think 116 scale really brings out a different type of weathering as well. Uh, in 35th scale, I, from my perspective, a lot of modeling that I do is kind of more towards the artistic side but as you get into that larger scale those those artistic kind of techniques modulation black and white technique post shading all of that kind of it's a lot more difficult when it's that size it's a lot more it's a lot more difficult to recreate realistically and i think if you take some of the practices from mike rinaldi you know reverse dry brushing those very subtle effects 
creating tonal variations that that would be a really cool challenge and and something neat to pull off yeah that's that's part of the reason why i i also have the renault ft in uh 116th and i'd like to build it but that is i am a little nervous about weathering something that size i know it's, it's a different animal but speaking of of artistic side of things you were telling us off air that you are working on an m4a1 sherman in what kind of camouflage scheme so I'm working on the old Italieri M4A1 Sherman. I got it for $10 off the scale model graveyard, and it's being painted as a World of Tanks paint scheme. Specifically, uh, if, you, if you're familiar with the game, and if not, it's, it's a simple scheme, you know, OD, but on top is a, you know, a very squiggly kind of winter uh, scheme. And I think I have a picture on my Facebook um, account, but I, you know, I had this kit on the shelf of Doom. I just started playing the game more, which probably is going to take a hit to my modeling time. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I was just like, man, I think that would really look cool in uh, 35th scale. So I, I just went for it. And uh, it's it's been a blast. And I would recommend, um, you know, everyone, listeners and you gentlemen, to go out of your comfort zone and just pull out a scheme that really doesn't exist and, and unleash some uh, new techniques to learn from. That's a great suggestion. And I think the best part of World of Tanks is the is their digital models. They have some really interesting ideas and, you know, not all their camouflages are necessarily factual based, but they all look uh, pretty legit in the game on the pieces that they're modeled on. Yeah, I'm guilty of like spying on my teammates' tanks like, wow, what is that? That is cool. And then I'll be honest, even checking out weathering patterns, like their digital modelers are incredibly impressive. Um, and I, I give them a lot of credit to to make these vehicles. You know, a lot of them look very realistic. And I, I love the fictional stuff, too. I'll, I'll be honest. I, th- I think it's cool. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's fun, right? And mm-hmm. there's no reason not to have fun when you're doing your hobby. I know that's not always the most popular thing in the world, but I mean, who cares? Yeah, TJ, you mentioned a good thing too. You know, it's it's always good good to go out of your comfort zone, and I and I also say I'm kind of on the opposite pers- uh, you know opposite side of the spectrum as well. So in this case, I'm doing something totally fictional, where my last vehicle was a Yog Tiger, um, you know, three three one, a very famous vehicle, and, I, and and you go hyper realistic, hyper accurate, where you go down to you know, studying multiple angles of black and white color, you know, black and white photography, color photography, looking at how it was repainted at the, you know, museum, looking at the shell marks, the date of, you know, production. So you can really, that's me on the opposite side of the spectrum. And, you know, I try to find a happy balance in between, but I, I can I can relate to almost anyone. You mentioned artistic model modeling um, as far as your, your finish style. Um, maybe, again, I think a lot of our listeners might not really understand what that means, but maybe touch on that. You know, the Spanish style has been so influential, particularly to armor modelers. Maybe talk about that a little bit. Yeah, sure. Thanks. And, and again, I, I, I'll, I'll reiterate anyone's style I can appreciate. If it's done, you know, how Francois Verlinden did it, I, I can appreciate it if it's well executed. And what you had just mentioned, the Spanish school, is these punchy highlights, these, you know, really extreme tonal gradations uh, on the finish. So a good example, Adam Wilder is a really uh, great modeler, and his YouTube series on a KV-1 shows that modulation, that punchy style where you're using extreme highlights, really deep shadows. And, and I try to find a happy balance in between, um, but it's, you know, it, it is real, it is eye appealing. Is it realistic? I would probably say not. Um, but if done correctly, uh, when you take a step back from the model, you know, foot or two, it, it really does, um, at least in my mind, capture 
the essence of of a realistic vehicle, at least from you know lighting and, and pigments, and it's all about moderation as well when you're working with it. There's also you know Spanish school can be applied to aircraft as well. Uh, Daniel Zimabard, I apologize if I didn't get his last name right. He's a he's a fantastic Spanish modeler that that does the Spanish school is is really that he defines it and and what he does is is truly incredible. And I also liken it to some of the Warhammer painting that you guys are doing. I, which I draw a lot of inspiration from. You look at these extreme highlights on the edges, um, you know, really deep shadows. That's what I love um, with certain subjects that are like large plates um, or like angular types of vehicles. The Crusader is a perfect example of something that could be really well executed in the Spanish school because you have those angles from the plates, but then also you can pick out the rivets, which can, again, add extreme highlights to such a small detail. Man, that's a, you got me stoked. I, I, you get you guys are gonna have to finish this interview without me. I gotta go build a model right now. So uh, see you guys later. <laughs> so, go ahead. John, you mentioned Warhammer models. You know, I I would love. So let me go ahead and say this. I'm a huge fan of your work. So I'll, I'm gonna fangirl a little bit. Oh, I appreciate um, that. You're making me blush. <laughs> like you are legitimately one of my hobby heroes. So it's wow. I am tickled nice. pink to be able to talk high to you. praise. That's high praise, John. Uh, I would love to see you do like a Warhammer tank, just because they're so ridiculous and so not real. They don't even look like they should work because they probably wouldn't if they were real. I know. I think Doug, you have you've built a few Warhammer tanks before, haven't you? Um, I've done one of the ships. I've actually got a tank I'm working on right now. What is that so. one? The Astra Militarium, the Lehman Russ battle tank. Oh, okay. Yeah, cool. That's well, that's what I've got going on right here. And back to the, I don't want the uh, John to kind of sneak out of here without this challenge. Now, John, you did bring up modeling outside of your comfort zone. So, uh, TJ, lead on. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, I think you could make something pretty interesting. I think it would blow away anything probably anyone else would do. Well, it's funny you mentioned that, and I appreciate it is lemon lemon rush is that is that the correct pronunciation yeah I actually, like that. I actually have so the new job i just started my coworker. it's like oh you built scale models so he he gave me that kit so i have it in the stash um kind of at the top of the pile so maybe i'll break it out and see what i can do all right we look forward to seeing that on uh, facebook and um you know our page is a plastic posse podcast and uh, we'd love it if you'd uh, pop a photo of that on there when you get to the point uh, where it's ready to be shown oh of course I've, i've got a question for you actually i have a couple um real quick ones so i'm a i'm not an armor modeler i'd like to be i've got a few kits in my stash i'm working on one of the to me uh 30 35th scale uh easy eights right now but for someone that's not into armor but would like to be what would you recommend as beginner kind of kits something that would be fairly easy to build but but could you give you more bang for your buck yeah Doug, that's a great question and i and i always go back to tamia um it really is the the king of kits I, and it's it's something that a brand new you know hobbyist can enjoy and even someone who's an advanced modeler can enjoy and i would totally recommend uh, not only their uh, 35th scale line, but their 48th scale line. I, I like to call them slammers. You know, you can sit down and have a very enjoyable evening while binge watching, you know, Stranger Things and complete one, uh, you know, in the span of probably two evenings. So for newer modelers, especially, uh, you know, coming over from the gaming world, if they're looking for 
kits that are accurate and more importantly, fun to build, I would definitely point them in the direction of Tamiya. And for newer modelers, not, you know, maybe not having access to a hobby shop or being able to buy online, you know, Hobby Lobby does carry some of those kits. Uh, and when you have a 40% off coupon, it, it makes it really sweet. And I know the Easy yeah. 8 is there and yep. I know they have the M1 Abrams as well on 48 scale. So I've, I've got both of those kits from them. Nice. There you go. Perfect. That you're, that's the, that's the, that's the best place to start in my humble opinion. Cool. Thank you. Um, another quick question. I've been, I've been following your Facebook page just as of, today because the guys are like this is a guy we're getting on the show and honestly i'm not a, i'm not an armor guy so i i've never followed you before and i open up your page and i have, I have to ask a question about the very first thing i see on on your it's facebook probably a page. steak right it is did you cook that yourself yeah so i guess one of my other guilty pleasures is you know some people eat to live i live to eat um and yeah. i just really you know i was out at the grocery store and i've been wanting to buy a tomahawk steak forever and they had it on sale for 10 bucks a pound and I was like to my wife, I'm like, we're not having pasta tonight. We're having this steak. <laughs> so uh, I was just, uh, man, I was so happy. And I, and I was true to my statement on the, the, you know, there are some fine things in life, Tamiya and a prime cut of beef. And Absolutely. Uh, Needless to say, there was no modeling done on Saturday evening. Uh, no, but that looks absolutely fantastic. <laughs> it does. I just it had does. to give you a thumbs up for that. John, I like what you do when you take, I, like, I guess, like your current build for that um sherman where you take a kit that usually gets like in to say rudely crapped on by most <laughs> you know modelers on the internet because oh don't get this one it's a piece of junk you know don't buy it it's cheap you know buy this dragon kit with eight million parts is way better so i like when you take a subject like that or a kit like that and turn it into what you turn it into uh, do you use a lot of aftermarket parts when when you do some some of these, or do you like to do just straight out of the box? What do you think is important when it comes to taking a kit that is not really well liked and turning it into a fantastic product? I appreciate the kind words, and you know, I it, it's a it's a great question, and you know, finding that happy balance, at least for me, is between enjoyment and you know, creating something that's you know, someone spends five seconds online looking at. So. You know, great example, the, the old Italieri Sherman. Uh, it is, it is. To be honest, it's it's still a very accurate kit, a very accurate kit in terms of its, you know, shape and and it does capture the Sherman. You know, there are some little errors on it, but the biggest uh, deficiency in that vehicle that I'm currently building is the tracks. You know, they're stiffer than you know a two by four. So fortunately, Ming provides two sets in their new jumbo, so I stole them. But going back to your comment, you know, older kits. I really find them enjoyable. Um, another example, if if you go on my page in the album section, there's a step-by-step -step for a Jagdpanzer L70, and it is the old, ancient, you know, 1970s vehicle. Um, I built it nearly out of the box. I added some aftermarket and tarps on the back of it, um, but I just really wanted to just, again, a slammer build. And after I built it up and took it to a show, someone's like, oh, man, that's awesome. That's the new Tamiya kit, right? I'm like, no, man, it's, it's you know, it's, back when you know we had the bicentennial for independence for crying out loud so um you know i think that's the biggest thing for me is if you can it comes down to the finish in a lot of cases i guess that's the best way to say it i built you know i'm looking at it now the the old kv2 from tamia and i had this good discussion with friends recently um concerning 
you know, the new KV2 from Tamiya or KV1 from Tamiya. You know, it's KV, new KV1 is awesome, but it's also $65. And, you know, some modelers who are on a budget can still take that old kit that you can literally pick up online for anywhere from, you know, $15 to $25. Um, so if, if you're looking to, you know, gain experience, try something out of your comfort zone and, and not have to worry about, um, you know, messing up a hundred dollar kit, I would definitely point to these older Tamiya kits. Um, they still fit great with exception to the Panther A. I will caveat. That is the one kit I cannot support. I'm sorry. Um, well, that one is from the stone age though. <laughs> yes. So that's okay. That, that one is, is not great, but you know, they're, I guess, I don't know the, the generation of kits that came out in the mid seventies to, uh, you know, mid, mid to late eighties. Um, they're still, they're still great for beginners or, or advanced modelers to, you know, to build and, and try new techniques. Yeah, I'd add to that while we're talking about KVs. You can uh, pick up at shows and, you know, at modeling club meetings, the Trumpeter KV series, and uh, you probably pick those up for 15 or $20, and those are really good kits as well. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, one thing about those kits, the, I will say the only downside with older Tamiya kits is the tracks. They use this vinyl that, I, I don't know, sometimes I'm very it's very hard to get paint to adhere to it. But, Scott, as you mentioned there, the, the trumpeter kits, the KV-1s, kind of their first generation, their first foray into 135th scale armor, probably about 20 years ago, they really did a great job in, in creating an affordable product that's accurate. And the tracks are link in length. So, and I know some of them had vinyl, but I think most of them are link in length, which if you're an out of the box builder, you have everything right there you need. Yeah, you, you just don't want to build a, a tank with rubber band tracks if you can help it. So those Lincoln lengths are definitely a big upgrade. You know, they're not Fryle model tracks or something like that, but they're certainly an upgrade over the vinyl rubber band style. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know me personally, I, typically if I build a tank, I'm going to try to get metal tracks for it. Yeah, yeah, I can, and I can understand that, you know, so... Here's my one thing about full model, um, and I'm, I'm, maybe this is a conspiracy theory, but you know, full model have been around for a long time. Their tracks, bar none, fantastic. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, in terms of accuracy, sag, the appearance. The one thing that I've ran into lately, um, so I have some full model tracks that are probably you know 25, 30 years old, and they, you know, putting the pins in is relatively easy. I have a few sets that I bought recently and I'm nearly drilling every link. And oh man, when it comes to enjoyment in the hobby, that is something I dread doing. And I've actually sold a couple full tracks just because of that. I've started buying our model. Uh, they're, you know, a, a no name company from eBay. Uh, but I have had very big success with, you know, King Tiger Panther. Um, Mark IV tracks where no no drilling required. I can assemble a whole set in about an hour or two. Uh, and then if I want to spend about $15 more, they have brass pins, brass track pins, which are absolutely gorgeous. So I would I would recommend checking them out. However, I will caution. I know Penzermeister 36, Evan from Canada, just ordered a R-model tracks from eBay, and they were actually packaged as something else. So um, Yeah, I, I, I saw that. Yeah. So... Just, uh, you know, I'd, I'd throw out a recommendation and they're and, you know, they're they're a little bit more affordable than fools. I think fools, depending on when you get them, I've seen them listed as high as 60 to 70 dollars now in the States. But I, hey, try our model out. You might you might find it you know worth your while. Uh, John, have you had any experience with Master Club tracks? Actually, I, I do. I have uh, I have used their King Tiger tracks for my uh, Tamiya Yog Tiger that I just finished, and I have a set for Trumpeter's IS-4. Again, no drilling required, which is nice. 
the one downside, at least for me, uh, the IS4 tracks I have, they have the resin pins that come <laughs> from both sides. Those are tedious, uh, but again, no drilling. So, you know, a pair of tweezers and, you know, concentration and then a you know, hard drink afterwards is, is probably par for the course. So, <laughs> Yeah, I've, I've, uh, I think I've built two different runs. I've got four or five more. I did a, some Panzer three ones. And they were perfect. They went together beautifully and then i did some ones for a valentine and they were terrible as scott probably remembers i almost gave up twice because those tracks are tiny to begin with and the pins you had to put pins on both sides the pins were too long so you had to trim one pin down with a knife then there was a casting mark where the two uh links met in the middle you had to file that down and it sucked they looked beautiful. They turned out great, but I probably spent a week and a half building them because I would put eight links together and get pissed and <laughs> get up and walk away because they were so frustrating. But then I have some Type 66 Sherman tracks from them, and I had bought them to go on the Sherman that I built a couple months ago, but I bought them from Australia right as like COVID hit, so it got delayed by months. So I ended up buying a set of frules and using those instead but i i put a little run together and they're they're fantastic i'm probably going to use them on the ryefield model sherman with the interior even though it comes with a pretty decent set of plastic tracks but i'll probably model it as one that had t66 tracks nice i tj i will say your sherman is one of the best models i've seen it was 2019 did you complete that or 2020 uh no it was this year okay Um, i think march or april i think when i finished it pre-covid so so i start i started on tj yeah he (laughs) see he he didn't think it was very good and i kept telling him dude it's awesome it's it's fantastic and and he and he he just argues with me but you say it it's like oh okay well john likes it so yeah it must be pretty cool as soon as i saw it on the critique group i was like man this is a good looking Sherman, and I think what stuck out to me the most is it just really looked the part. Uh, you know, your overall finish consistency, and I love the OD color. Um, I just thought you 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 friggin' nailed it. And can you talk about the OD color you used? That is mainly it is AK real color olive drab nine and twenty two. Have you used those colors, John? The AK real colors. <laughs> I actually have two boxes sitting here on my desk that I just ordered. I have the German set and then the American set as well, and I need to try them. So I got I have a few models I need to get to paint so I can try them out. So it was mainly that color, um, and then I lightened it up. I, there's also the faded version of Isle of Drab. I use that, and then I also lightened this up with some Tamiya dark yellow for some paint distressing. <clears throat> I will say this this real color Isle of Drab is my absolute favorite Isle of Drab. I think it's perfect. I, I use yeah. it with, for literally anything i need painted olive drab i use this i still prefer mrp if i can get it excuse me but um the ak real colors is really good i mean it's right there with tamiya or goons uh really really good quality acrylic lacquer paint and i love the way it goes down and and uh you know tj's uh easy eight look terrific with it on there so so what are you guys cutting it with real colors i I use mr leveling thinner okay yeah that's all i use as well yeah me too it's like I've holy got, water. Yeah, it is. 
Unicorn tears. <laughs> yep, unicorn, unicorn tears, holy water, yeah. Yep. That's right. So all you modelers out there that hear about unicorn tears on the podcast, that's what they're talking about. Goons, Mr. Leveling Thinner. So anyway, it's great stuff. You need two bottles. I want to talk about other other aftermarket items. Like I am a big fan of uh, aluminum barrels. And, you know, it, it really kind of comes down to a couple of things. First of all, if you have a tank like a Firefly where you've got a huge long tube, sometimes it's not easy to see it, but they're almost always warped. The other thing is you're, you've got to eliminate two seams on a round tube for the entire length of that tube. And it's really hard to do without flat spotting it anywhere. And so I really like the aluminum barrels. Uh, how often do you use those? And uh, do you like the, uh, the barrels? Uh, so I do love aluminum barrels. And I'm going to go back and I'll say, I remember, um, sound like an old person now, but I remember when, you know, when the aluminum barrels, you know, Jordi Rubio was like the quintessential name in aluminum barrels back in, you know, the late nineties, early two thousands. And that's kind of when I got more serious about the hobby because of band of brothers. That was the time it came out. One of the first vehicles I built with an aluminum barrel was the Sherman firefly. And the Jordi Rubio barrel had that machine muzzle brake because it was circular at the time. You couldn't find German muzzle brakes as, as a single piece because of the square, you know, the square brake holes. And I remember when Edward came out with their first one-piece aluminum barrel with the muzzle brake milled on the gun barrel. And I was like, this is the greatest thing ever. And I think I bought, you know, <laughs> my dad, I think we bought like a dozen of them. And I still have them. Um, and, and every time I build a King Tiger or a Tiger One, I slap it on there. So I, I agree with you, you know, if, you know, how can I say this? My time is worth a lot. I try to cut every corner I can when it comes to modeling because I, I do like to build as much as I can because there's so many good kits out there. And if I can pay, you know, 12, 15 bucks for a, a barrel that's perfect, good to go, I'll, I'll, I will definitely do that. So I, I'll echo your support in, in turn barrels. And I think I have, I just actually got a stack from uh, Def Model sitting here on the desk. Those are very affordable and I would highly recommend them. Well, John, I uh, I uh, promised you uh, that I wouldn't take your uh, entire evening, but man, this is fun. What's your favorite armor kit that you've ever built? Just flat out had the most fun. Love the way it turned out. Oh man, that is a that is a tough question to answer. You know, I'm looking at my display case now, and if I had to pick one, I would go with uh, a model that I recently built, probably within the last two years. To me, is Brumbar. I did the disc camouflage scheme on it. Nice. Had an absolute blast with the kit. It being on the cover of Tamiya Model Magazine, humble brag moment there. You know that was, <laughs> you know that that only is going to sweeten the deal. And, yeah, that uh, never hurts. Never hurts. You know, I, I do love the the publishing aspect of scale modeling because it's incredibly motivating, and that's that's one of the reasons I love posting on Facebook to get the feedback from everyone. But you know, going back to your question, it is it is the Brumbar. It's not only the scheme, but also First time I really used Abe's epoxy putty to kind of semi-sculpt a mantlet cover and, you know, tarps on it. it just overall a really, a really fun build that, um, you know, I, I, I've seen some people, you know, copy it and I, I am happy. You know, imitation is the greatest form of flattery and I, you know, I, I absolutely love seeing that type of uh, stuff go on in the hobby. So, yeah, long story short, Camille Brumbar. 
disc camouflage scheme. That's a great choice. I bought the electronic, the PDF version of that magazine just for that article. So there's there's my fanboy moment. <laughs> oh. <laughs> now, if you could just get them to pay me, that'd be great. Oh, sorry. <laughs> It's the posse. we got to have a little spice. That's right. That's right. We sure do. Well, TJ, what other questions do you have for John? Oh, I think that uh, oh, I think that pretty much just covers it, really. Doug, anything else you want to ask John? Uh, other than grilling tips, I don't I don't have anything. <laughs> we'll take it offline. We'll have, we'll have a video session at the grill. All righty. Man, I got to go to Facebook and take a look at this steak. It's uh, <laughs> it's sounding better and better by the minute. It looks well, pretty jo- good. Well, well, John, um, thank you so much for being our official first uh, guest host on uh, the Plastic Posse podcast. Uh, you've been a gentleman. It's been so much fun to talk to you. We'll continue to follow you on Facebook uh, and, uh, you know, banter back and forth with you on the Scale Modeler Critique Group. And uh, just wish you nothing but the best. Uh, thanks so much. And uh, hopefully you'll come back for another visit. Well, gentlemen, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate the invite and I'd love to come back. So great success onward and upward for the podcast thank you all right thank you thanks a lot john yep cheers gents well thanks for sticking with us this is our first podcast and we're all a little nervous and we're all new at this but we really appreciate you get you giving us our your time we look forward to, to talking to you again in two weeks when we do our second episode we'll be talking about painting Real basic stuff, the reason we paint and why, how it works so well and what it does to improve our kits. We'll also uh, be continuing to have interviews and we'll talk about whatever we think is cool. If there's anything you want to hear about, give us a shout and maybe we'll talk about it too. Be a part of the posse. We'd love you to share feedback on every episode with us on our Facebook page, which can be found on the Plastic Posse podcast on Facebook. Or you can email us on, at plasticpossepodcast at gmail.com. Stop in, drop you know, drop a line, let us know what you think. If you have an idea, feel free to share it. We'd love to hear it. And if you think you have something interesting you'd like to add, let us know. Maybe we'll, we can get you on here and you can have a chance to tell the world. One last reminder before we wrap it up, uh, we want to remind you guys, uh, go visit our sister podcast on scale modeling. You probably have already been there, but just in case you haven't, make sure you give uh, Dave, Ian, and Julian a listen over at On the Bench. They're on episode 91 as of the time we're recording this uh, pretty soon to hit 100 episodes. So, uh, you know, congratulations on that, you guys. That's amazing. Um, also plastic model mojo, David, Mike from Kentucky. They're on episode 19 and, uh, they're a lot of fun to listen to. And, uh, Stuart up in Canada is on, uh, with scale model podcast. He's on episode 54. As I've said at the start of the show, these, uh, these guys in these podcasts have been very helpful to us. And uh, we're excited to help support them. They've been very supportive of us. Well, if you made it this far, thanks a lot for coming along on our inaugural episode. We really appreciate it. If you could take the time to go to Stitcher or iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts and give us a five-star rating, we'd really appreciate it. It'll help more listeners find us. We'll see you in two weeks. Thanks again. (laughs) 